This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 23rd of November 2021. And Norman, our borders have are reopening sort of, it's a bit of a process. There's international borders reopening and then also state borders, including today, South Australia reopening to the rest of Australia. And the real focus has been on COVID coming in. And that's what we're bracing for. But COVID isn't the only germ that humans can get, and it's not the only thing that we've been trying to, that we've been managing to keep out over the last year or so. There's been hardly any influenza in Australia over the last two years, but that's going to change when our borders reopen, just as COVID comes in. Yes, that's right, because influenza comes in via our international borders. That's how we get new influenza viruses, and as we open them up the virus will come in. So it's no different indeed from COVID in that sense. So yes. And in the you know in the last 12 months, you can measure the number of people who've been infected by influenza, at least officially, who've been tested in the hundreds. Do you think we've got a better sense of how much flu is around because we've been doing so much testing for COVID? We always did quite a lot of testing. And compared to you know, in 2019, there were hundreds of thousands of cases documented. So we are pretty good at influenza surveillance in a normal year. So we've gone from hundreds of thousands in a single year to hundreds. It's, it's really quite remarkable. But there actually was an editorial in this week's Medical Journal of Australia basically saying we need to prepare for an out-of-season influenza epidemic. And usually the, the, the saying is any day in May is a good time to get your flu shot. But these people are arguing that we should be vaccinating with influenza vaccines now to prevent a summer surge as borders reopen. Yeah, and particularly children who've not been exposed to influenza over the last couple of years at all. And that makes sense. So, Because what we forget is that if you go back to January 2020, when the pandemic was brewing, January 2020 was a bad influenza month and unseasonably early. It wouldn't be the first time that we experienced influenza early. So we saw influenza early in 2020, despite the fact that international borders were open and despite the fact that we'd had a very bad flu season in 2019 with hundreds of thousands of cases. Do you think then that we might have had a really bad flu season in 2020 if we hadn't closed the borders? Nobody will ever be able to tell you that. Um, there was some diminution in February, but it was shaping up to be a bad early flu season in Australia. So it could have been quite bad. Uh, we'll, we'll never know. My point is, so only about two years ago, we had an unseasonably early flu season. And that's with a lot of flu that came before it. So here we've had no flu and the potential to have that. So it makes sense to start thinking about immunising, particularly vulnerable children now, even though it's a vaccine that's not designed for next year or what they anticipate the variants will look like next year. Because like you say, young kids, there's anyone who's under the age of two probably has never, their body's never seen the influenza virus ever. That's right. It, it is something to seriously consider. Now, that's not the only thing to seriously consider because what we also saw this year um, in Australia and around the country and around the world was an increase in respiratory syncytial virus in children. Now, that's that's a virus that causes um, a chest infection, a viral chest infection um, with a lot of wheezing and, and respiratory distress. And children can get quite sick with it. They get a problem called bronchiolitis, particularly young young children. So that's going to complicate the story. So the, the, the problem here could be 
that children are exposed to more than one virus at the same time, flu, RSV, and maybe even COVID-19. There is no RSV vaccine at the moment, but I actually think Moderna is working on one. I think they're in phase two, three clinical trials right now. Yes, now that we've got these new vaccine technologies, we are going to see vaccines to where, there, where vaccines were not able to be used before. That's actually really cool. So let's talk about vaccines as well. And again, more questions about booster shots and, and what your immunity is to COVID, talking about COVID again. And it's been a question that we've had since quite early in the pandemic is just how much protection you get from getting infected again if you've had COVID once and how that compares to getting vaccinated. And there's some new research that's looked at this. Yeah, basically tried to bring together the available studies on this. So what they found remarkably was that the the risk of repeated infections, that's infection itself, was um, anywhere between 80 and 100% reduced in people who did COVID-19. And that's really with quite large, uh, quite, quite large samples, finding that under 1% of people who've been infected become reinfected. And that's within about a year, maybe 10 or 11 months after infection. Is that different to what we understood before? Because anecdotally, you sort of hear a lot of stories about people catching it more than once. You do, but that's also with variants. So in the early days, they got infected with the ancestral virus or the alpha, and then Delta comes along. So it, the question is cross-variant protection. And that's probably where you heard those stories. But it is rare. When you look at these these data, 14,000 people um, 9,000 people, you know, reasonable samples. And how does that compare to your protection from vaccination? Well, um, Pfizer and Moderna will give you that level of protection. Astro just a little bit lower than that. But without the, the hassle of getting sick in the first place? That's correct. Or taking the risk. So what's the implication then for getting vaccinated after you've been infected? This is really slightly unknown territory. So the, the vaccine trial that was done last year in South Africa w- was done in people who'd had infection before as well as people who hadn't and didn't really run into problems as a result of that. What this study and what some people are starting to say is, well, so, so, the, so the rule in Australia is that if you've had infection, you don't get vaccinated for six months. And it's kind of arbitrary. It's more around not wanting you to be sick and unwell when you get your vaccine so that you're as fit as you possibly can be. And some people are saying you probably you might only need a single dose of a vaccine, almost like a booster, a single booster after you've been vaccinated. And we just don't really understand the science around that yet. But the point here is that you're in pretty good shape for a few months after infection. So then if you do get vaccinated, as we hope you will have or are planning to do, some people get side effects afterwards. And Heidi's asking about whether taking paracetamol or ibuprofen after vaccination could somehow reduce your body's immune response. And mainly, Norman, I'm asking this question because I just love the way you say the words paracetamol and ibuprofen. Great. Paracetamol, ibuprofen. <laughs> so look, um, the official advice from the Australian government is that it's, it's fine to take either. If you look at the science here, there is a bit of circumstantial evidence that ibuprofen and the, the family of drugs are called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, do in theory suppress the antibody response and aspects of the immune system, which could in theory affect the response to immunization. And there is a study of influenza immunization in the elderly. Now, it's complicated because it's not just non-steroidals, not just drugs like ibuprofen, it includes metformin and other drugs. But it seemed to imply that ibuprofen was associated with a reduced response to the influenza vaccine. So based on that, you can either follow the Australian government 
advice. You're not going to get into any harm if you take it, as long as you're allowed to take it. Pregnant women, people with high blood pressure, there are other people with kidney damage. There are certain contraindications to having ibuprofen, but if you're otherwise allowed to have it, then you're not going to come to any, uh, you're not going to get any side effects. But based on the science, if you're a bit anxious about that, then you could just consolidate on paracetamol and have that to relieve your discomfort after vaccination. Everybody says, don't take it beforehand, wait and see whether you get symptoms. So don't take these drugs in advance of vaccination, wait to see whether you need them. So only, only take it if you need it. Well, that's almost all we've got time for on CoronaCast today. But of course, if you do have time and you have some thoughts about what we should be doing with this podcast next year, we have a survey for you to fill out. We'll go to abc.net.au slash CoronaCast. We want to know what you think. Go to that link and we will hopefully find that out. Yep, it's called the Listener Survey. That's where to click. We've already actually had so many responses. Thank you so much to those of you who have responded. Uh, We're reading every single one of them and we'll have some news for you on the future of CoronaCast very soon. And very interesting responses to the last question, which we have a vested interest in. See you tomorrow. See you then.